at the end of last night, um, I pulled Dr. Fred aside and I asked him, I said, hey, can I do something just a little bit different um, this morning? And I said, I'd love to take some time and do some Q&A. I'd love to just kind of make myself available to answer some questions. Uh, And um, I'd like to keep it kind of focused on three things. Three words came to mind even as I was driving in. Uh, Three words that came to mind, write them down. And then maybe the Lord will prompt you to... Uh, maybe just ask a few questions along the lines of place, passion, and purpose. Place, passion, and purpose. I'll even ask you some questions as you prepare to ask me questions so that you can have a little context in regards to these three words. Place. Am I in the right place? I'm wondering what places I'm going to be when I leave here. I'm questioning even maybe where my place is even on this campus. Where's my place with you, God? Where's my place in ministry? Where's my place in calling? Passion. What am I even passionate about? And do my passions really align with your will? Maybe some of you are not passionate about much. (laughs) I've had that response. I'm not passionate about anything. Purpose. And I think that one speaks for itself. So while you're thinking about your questions, I'm going to go get that stool way in the back. And I'm going to set it up right here. And I'm going to do my best to answer your questions pertaining to place, passion, and purpose. Is that okay? Can we do that? Yeah. Lord, I thank you so much for our time of worship. And I thank you, God, for for Elam. And I thank you for the community of young believers that you're raising up here. I just ask God that this morning that you would just continue to do a work in our hearts. Give us a sensitivity to your will. Give us a longing for more. Give us a heart for people. Help us not to just live for ourselves, but to live for the benefit of others. To love you, to love people. And to know that we've been called to be a witness of your gospel. So help us now this morning. I pray that our questions would lead us closer to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, I can't see everybody. Amen. So, hey, we're, we're a small enough group where I think if you just raise your hand, I, I point to you and you can just stand up so that we can all hear you and just say your question really loud. Um, there's no shame in here, so I'm not worried about any of your questions. And I'm pretty good at like, hey, if I can't answer the question, I'm so sorry. I'll just... You know, when you get back to class, ask them. <laughs> so, um, so let's do it. Amen. Ah, yes, your hand went up first. I honor that. Could you stand up and say that a little louder? Because that was such a great question. Everyone needs to hear that. Did everyone hear that? That's a really good question. Um, And I get the sense that there are a lot of creatives here 
uh, at Elam. It's like, oh my goodness, how many bands do you guys have? I was like, what is going on? Um, but actually, that, that gets me super excited um, because I do believe that God wants to raise up a generation of songwriters and creatives, people who are willing to step out the box and do something very unique. <clears throat> and I'm super excited to be able to take the time and answer that question. Um, I think it's really important as believers that on this journey of creating art for the glory of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> there has to be accountability. Um, and so, um, and, and, and when there's accountability, the connection that you make with those who you're going to be accountable to don't always have to be creatives like yourself. Um, I, I, I've made sure along the journey of developing art that I have people in my life that I can process up with. Let me just encourage you, always process up when it comes to new ideas and new initiatives and new efforts creatively. Because if you don't process up, then what happens is, is you become sort of a rogue creative without any accountability or oversight. Um, also, too, to be able to have somebody speak into your art and your creativity, someone who understands Christ and understands the pursuit of holiness, someone who is wise, preferably somebody who has lived on this earth a little bit longer than you, it's important to do that and to be able to check in so that your art never takes priority over the gospel. Um, and when you process up with somebody else regarding your art and your creativity, you are able to make sure that you stay aligned to the vision and the purpose of the ministry that you serve so that you never get ahead of what God is already doing in the particular space that you want to introduce your art. For example, I was uber creative, still am, but I was super excited to do artistic things here at Elam many, many years ago. Um, Lisa Ramon might remember. Um, I was super excited, so I decided to develop and create sort of this unique Christmas party. And um, I decided I was going to introduce Elam to new efforts in marketing and promotion, and I made these little flyers and made sure everyone knew that we were throwing a hip-hop Christmas party at Elam. So I scheduled and put together like a whole playlist and then I, I and I was always big on teams so we had the decorating team it was, just, it was the old gym and um, we were going to have Christmas lights everywhere and I was like man there's going to be hip hop and we're going to do dance and let's all get dressed up too like like costumes and outfits and you know and I was like man creatively I was like Elam's never seen anything like this let's go <clears throat> but I never processed up not with any of the staff I just was like man I'm just going to show people creatively what I can do to bring people together to have a great time and so, sure enough, almost the entire student body showed up at the gym with Christmas outfits on and lights. I had the DJ going. We had a whole refreshment section. I had the whole night planned out creatively, all these different things we were going to do with games and interaction and art. And um, The dean of students at that time 
came in about, I don't know, it was about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes in. We didn't really even get started. And um, he walked in. He was really taken back, to say the least, with the low lights and the loud hip-hop music and people dancing on the gym floor and you know, we were holding up our little Kool-Aid cups like we had some other stuff up in there. And I was on the mic emceeing the whole thing. And I was turned up all the way up, you know. And he walks over to me and he says, shut it down. And this is what happened. I failed in that moment. Because when you don't process up, pride causes you to think that you have to protect your creative projects. When you don't process up, you hold your art and your creativity close. And pride becomes your defender rather than the Holy Spirit giving you discernment. Without the Holy Spirit's discernment, you will substitute pride as your defender. And that will fail you every time. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not shutting this down. We work too hard for it. What are we doing wrong? We're just having a good time. We've been working on this for a month. It's just something nice that we created. He said, shut it down. I looked back at him, fired back. I said, you shut it down. You tell him to go home. He got on the mic and he said, this is over. Everyone go back to your dorm rooms. Some of us went back to our dorm rooms. Others stormed off campus in rebellion not because of the staff member. That's not why they walked off campus and did whatever they did that night. It actually all started because of my pride and my failure to yield to the spirit and to be accountable on this journey. After a couple days, I went to go see Brother Paul And I cried in his office because still and sometimes in your pride, you're still not ready to apologize. You know, pride can kind of create almost like this facade as if you're broken. And your tears are really tears that reflect your pride, not really tears of brokenness and humility. And so Brother Paul's staring at me as I'm crying, and of course you know what he said, David, David, David. He said, it's not what you did that was wrong. It was how you did it, when you did it, and the motive behind it. He said, it was just, your timing was wrong. You didn't let anybody know. You were just your own man on your own island trying to create something. And so even still to this day, now at 48, when I come up with a creative project, whether it be in music, production, or film, or theater, I put this into practice. I'll bring in at least seven to eight people into a room representing all different generations. So if I've got like a theatrical project, I've got this story, I've got this idea, bring them all into a room and I'll pitch my idea on like a whiteboard. I'll share it, kind of map it out and kind of like just like a vision board. And then I'll ask all of them, what do you think? How do you feel about this? What stirs in your heart when you hear this storyline or this new song? And I've allowed myself to be open to criticism 
That's not easy. And I'll make sure that I listen to everyone speak. <clears throat> and then we'll pray about it. I'll let it sit and settle for a while. And then we'll pray. We'll pray and we'll fast. And then come back to it. Flesh out what we think needs to be adjusted. <clears throat> you and I, we can't miss the mark on what God has called us to do creatively. So let's just make sure we do it right. We do all things in excellence. Remember, remember when, um, remember when Saul was bugging out? And remember when his servants were like, somebody got to say something because he's crazy. And remember he was just acting, you know, he, he was acting the fool. And them servants said, um, sorry king, but uh, we're just going to go ahead and recommend somebody. And remember they said somebody who's got skill. We know this, we know this kid. He's a skilled musician. His name is David. And remember Saul was like, he's got skill. He's got skill. He's good. Like he can really play. And they were like, oh, he can really play. But he's also wise. He's prudent. He's a man of war. He's brave. Oh, man, he's just, he's the full package. And he's got skill. And then the last thing they said when they boasted about his art was, and the Lord is with them. That sealed the deal. Even in Saul's craziness, he knew, bring that guy in. Let me hear his song. You see, when you're committed, when your art and creativity is committed to Christ and Christ alone, other people will boast about what you do. You don't have to build your own platform for your art. Let God do it. Before you start trying to work out your own marketing strategies and your own efforts to advertise and let everybody know what you're good at, let the Lord speak for you. Let others talk about you. You just continue to perform for an audience of one. Your art and your creativity is for an audience of one. I'm going to stop right now because I can talk about art and creativity for like, the next three hours, so let me stop. I'm going to get back there, but I know there was a hand right beside you, maybe. Yeah. You, if you could, yes, yeah, so we can kind of. Oh, never mind. Gabriel's got a mic. I'm just going to stay standing. Um, so in terms of place, what would you say are some good signs, like biblically or non-biblically, that... Um, would show that you are in the right place. Yeah. <clears throat> Great. Greatness. Well, let me first speak in regards to church community. Um, when we launched Soul Cry Church, my wife and I began to pray about really what is it that we want people to experience when they step into this place we didn't want to overthink it and I felt like the Holy Spirit made it very clear a house of prayer a house of worship and a house that leans in close to the word so when it comes to the church the body of Christ when it comes to when it comes to making decisions on where you're going to land and what place you're going to be, where you're going to serve. It needs to be a community that is not dependent on their arts or their creativity, not dependent on their gifts or their talent. I'm even careful to make sure that when I'm sending young brothers and sisters out because I mentor a lot of young guys and girls and they get offers and opportunities and they're trying to figure out where they're going to land and what's going to be the place where I'm going to serve, this, the city, the country, the church. I said, 
is the word being preached? Are they a people that know how to pray? Do they worship in spirit and in truth? Or do they need a light show and smoke machines in order to get people riled up? Is the congregation and community completely dependent on the lead pastor? Or do you recognize that there are people being raised up as a community and team of leaders around you? If the word and worship and prayer is central to that community, if it's central to that community, it's a good place. Now, some of you might be feeling the Lord leading you into mainstream marketplaces, pursuing careers outside of Christian community. How do you know that's the place to be? Well, it's the same principle with the arts. Process up. Some of you here, I believe God is going to call out and into wilderness places, desert places. Uh, a part that I skipped last um, yesterday, yesterday morning, there was this short period of my time between Nikki Cruz and Times Square Church where I felt like I was in a desert place. And because of just my experience, I got a phone call and I, I was really needing just something else to kind of supplement my income and just kind of just keep moving forward. So I got a call from um, um, a music mogul and um, I'll just say it. I got a call from a music mogul um, who was managing Alicia Keys back in 2008. Anybody know who Alicia Keys is? This music mogul wanted to launch a gospel division with their management company. So I got called in to be a part of a team on staff for a major music production company. Um, I, would, I received the invitation to come on board and be a part of an A&R team, artist and repertoire, and build a gospel division in a secular space. So what did I do? I called Brother Paul. I called Brother Paul. And I said, you know, right now, I feel like I'm not supposed to be in church community. I feel like the Lord's calling me into, into the wilderness place. Um, but uh, I just need your thoughts. I'm just processing up. See how you feel about that. So this Brother Paul said this to me. He said, I feel at peace about it. He said, every Egypt needs a Joseph. He said, but David, 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 there comes a moment when Joseph needs to get out of Egypt. He said, and you need to be very tuned into the Holy Spirit when the time is right for you to get out of that place. So I stepped into Egypt. And it was wild, dark. Despite the fact that I was trying to build a gospel division, but let me tell you something like that. It was a fine line between a light shining in the dark or is this really just mixture? After about two years of really being a light in a very dark place, things got really weird at times. And after about two years, I realized my brother Paul's words were ringing in my ear. Why? Because I, I processed up and I knew it was time to get out of that place. I had done everything that I could to bear witness of Christ and um, it was time to go. If you step into a place, if you step into a place in mainstream and you're not ready, you're not ready, it could be a trap and snare and you'll find yourself in a pit just trying to figure out your way out. 
I used to work with a young DJ and he used to travel with me to, with Nikki Cruz, super talented, a music producer, had an incredible ear for sound and music. Um, we had finished just doing a major outreach and then he came back and he got an opportunity to sign with Def Jam um, as a young producer. Def Jam is a large uh, hip hop label um, that was started by Jay-Z, um, who is the husband. I mean, y'all know, know who these people are. He said, oh, man, Pastor Dave, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm going to be working in, uh, with Def Jam. They brought me in. I knew where he was spiritually. And I said to him, bro, not, not the time. Not the time. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm about, I'm about to be a light in the dark. I said, I, I, I know. I, I know that's, that's, that's the idea. God wants us to put us in spaces. I said, but right now where you are spiritually, I said, I said, you may get mad at me, but right now where you are spiritually, it's just not the place where you're supposed to be. There has to be a greater depth of understanding who you are in Christ. There has to be this constant spiritual death. He, he wants to, sometimes God needs to dig the well deeper in you before you step into certain places that are going to require you to stand when everyone else is running off the cliff. He was offended by my response. And he went in and signed with Def Jam anyway. He never found his way out of the dark. Now the last I've heard works somewhere down in Florida and, and I'll be very honest runs around into little local clubs DJs in these little local strip clubs in the south unhappy alone depressed and even to every time I've tried to tell him, listen, we serve a merciful God who's able to reach down into the miry pit and pull you out. But the problem with him is he won't take the hand of the Lord. The outstretched hand of God's grace. <sighs> Next question. Way in the back and then I'll start coming up to the front. Wherever you go, Gabriel. Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, so I have a question regarding a place as a leader. So if you're in a place of leadership, how do you effectively surround yourself with Christians who will be able to help you lead in any situation? Uh, that's awesome. So you have to come to a place where you're okay surrounding yourself with people who can do what you do better than you. Hear what I just said? You have to be okay surrounding yourself with people who can do what you do better than you. Oftentimes, I've seen leaders build teams around them who are just simply yes sir and yes ma'am, men and women without any say. Ah, oh, man, I, I, I cherish the opportunity to mentor and train potential leaders who may not be strong, but as I'm leading, I'm also looking after the opportunity to build with high-capacity leaders around me. I've got a young man right now, some of the young men and women that I look forward to taking the mic at Soul Cry Church and preaching the house down. We're developing them right now. I got a young man, he's 32 years old. He's been the principal of a thriving public charter school in Long Island for the last seven years. He's a bona fide leader. I laugh sometimes like, I don't know why are you following me, brother. He's also led at his former church. He's a theologian in his own right. 
incredibly talented and gifted. I've got another young man who has his master's working on his doctorate, teaches theology at Nyack College in Manhattan. He comes in, he just wants to clean up. Set up chairs, fold chairs. I got another man who is chief finance officer for J.P. Morgan. Oh, he's a whole brain. He comes in at 8.30 every Sunday, goes in and gets the vacuum, starts cleaning up because we rent this space and sometimes it's not as clean as we want it to be when we come in. We'll vacuum, we'll set up chairs, wipe things down. Our service starts at 11 and then about 9.30, quarter to 10, he'll just come and stand beside me and he'll just walk alongside of me. And I'll be like, bro, I, I don't need an armor bearer. What? Just waiting for you just to let me know if there's anything else that I need to do. I'm like, no. And then he'll leave the space. He'll get in his car and go and he'll pick up his wife and come back on time at 11 o'clock for service every Sunday. You want to surround yourself with leaders who know how to serve. Be careful and watch out for those who just want to grab the mic. No one touches the mic until they know how to wash feet. If you're going to leave a legacy, then you have to raise up leaders. But I'm believing that this will be a generation who understand how to serve believing that this will be leaders that lean in to the word but are also led by the Holy Spirit. Be okay with criticism as a leader amongst your leaders. Be okay to receive pushback. Don't let your pride hinder the opportunity for you to grow within the relationship of other leaders around you. Be okay knowing that sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But in those moments, it's an opportunity for you to grow and develop as a leader. If you love those that you serve, you will be okay apologizing to them when you get it wrong. Your I'm sorry moment is a reflection of you loving God and loving people. Be careful following leaders that don't know how to apologize. Be careful. And don't you fall into the trap of feeling like you've earned the right as a leader to never have to go to someone and say, I'm sorry for offending you. Please forgive me. Next question. So my question is, how would you discern God's desires and your desires? Like, you put passion on the paper, and I was just wondering, like, what's the difference between our passions and God's passions? Man, it's such a great question. That's like the journey of my whole life. When you surrender your passion before the Lord, when you say, God, here it is, and you lay your passion down at the cross, God, I believe, is able to align his will to your passion. But your passion has to be subjected to his will. When I first came to New York City, I talked about it yesterday. Man, I was like, this is it. I want to be on Broadway. I want to be a professional actor. I want to be on stage. Man, I love theater. 
And so through my high school years and even college, I had this idea that I was going to be a professional actor in New York City and I was going to be on Broadway. And it wasn't until my later years finishing up at Elam that I realized, man, those things that I'm passionate about, my gifts, my talent, I have to surrender them to the Lord. Your passion is better in your hand, in his hands than your hands. Because oftentimes when we hold our passion, those things that we're passionate closely to our heart, we find ourselves driven by emotion rather than driven by faith. Passions that are expressed out of emotion are often a train wreck about to happen. When you operate out of just the passions and the gifts and the talents in accordance to just your emotional rush to perform, to be good, to be great, expect the train wreck. But when your passions are surrendered to the Lord and faith continues to rise up saying, not my will, but your will be done, he oftentimes will alter your passions to fit your God-given purpose. So God did that. He altered my passions. He fine-tuned my gifts for his glory. And then that day came where I was standing on the largest stage on Broadway, Mark Hellinger Theater. No, I wasn't a professional actor. I was a pastor directing a play bearing witness of God's hand on my life to touch hundreds and thousands with the gospel. It's better in his hands. And sometimes um, those things that we're passionate about, we hold it real tight. We hold it tight. Loosen up the grip. Loosen up the grip. So that God can have his way with those areas that you're very passionate about. Yes, next question. Wherever Gabriel goes. So how do we know we have the correct mentors in our processing up to the correct person? How do we know we have the correct mentor? The correct mentor. Well, if that mentor is not pointing you to Jesus, that's the incorrect mentor. <laughs> I, I wouldn't overthink that. Um, I think it's important to, to recognize that mentorship looks different for everybody. Um, I think also, too, there has to be an effort that comes from that mentor to check in with you. Practically speaking, sometimes you just need to ask that individual who you sense maybe could be someone who's going to keep pouring into your life over the years. Give that person some room to pray about it and make a decision to commit to you and stay the journey with you, or at least for a season. Um, I'm, I've got a young man that I mentor now. He is relentless. So, oh, man, if I don't get back to him in a text, he'll text me back like in a day or two, all caps, like, where you at? <laughs> we didn't set our date yet. And so I, and I'll just, but I love him. And I love his tenacity. I love his commitment for us to do coffee once a month. One, and he has a pastor. And, and he's in leadership in his local church in Harlem. I love this kid, um, but he just needed somebody outside of his place of service and ministry to kind of really just dump it all out um, and, and talk through some things. So I hope that helps. Yeah. Uh, so I'm planning on going into the film industry, and <laughs> and there are some stories that I want to tell uh, that are a little more guised and... Um, have more implicit but strong themes, but there are some films that I'd like to tell a very explicit Christian message. So how do you balance 
uh, a very explicitly Christian film with good art and good storytelling? Why is that question so good? <laughs> Every question's been good, but like that just, it's amazing. When you decide, well, let me say it like this. I think explicit gospel art is self-explanatory. It's almost a bit easier to be intentional about that and to stay on track with motives and agenda and purpose to explicitly give people the gospel. But when you do crossover art, crossover creative content, you must always still take the cross over. How do we do that? Might sound like a cool line, but you might still be asking, how do you do that? Well, you have to stay true to the cross. Because it can be a little bit tricky with developing art that might not have an explicit gospel. But if you take the cross over, you'll find that in the writing process, in the casting process, in the production process, you are still motivated by the importance of making sure that you express good news in the story. So I've worked on crossover projects. And one we're done, because you know this already, I'm sure. It sounds like it. Script is king. No, we know Jesus is king. Sorry. But like in the industry, we say script is king. You don't have a good script. You don't got a good movie. All right. Script is king. So it's there in the writing process that you have the opportunity to weave in these incredible spiritual subliminal messages throughout every bit of the story. How can we find Christ in the characters that we're, that we're looking at and that we're seeing? Um, I, I think it's actually very exciting what you're about to step into. Don't feel like you have to prove your Christianity to the Christian world. That will, that will cause you to become jaded and bitter towards your Christian community. When you know that you know that you've been called to do this and you've processed up with others and you're accountable, stay focused and locked in. Not, not in referral to music, but uh, I mean to movies, but music is very similar in a sense. Um, and I'll just say this. Um, <clears throat> there was a moment, anybody familiar with Lecrae? Anybody know who Lecrae is? Okay, a few people. Um, Lecrae is one of the biggest Christian rappers um, across the globe, and um, and so, and he is the president. He is the he's the he's co-president of Reach Reach Records. So when I was managing Andy Minio, <clears throat> I'll never forget that call that we got when he said, "Hey guys, would love to sign." Andy Minio and so that put me in sort of a just a connection with Lecrae and I've had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him quite a bit um, over the years and here's where I'm going at a certain point as they were developing the label they decided let's do music that is explicitly gospel and let's do music that's crossover let's be a light in the dark places. Let's create opportunities to shine in the dark. But again, they processed up with a lot of pastors about it. You and I didn't know about it, but they didn't feel it necessary to have to prove to all of their listeners why they were doing what they were doing. Because remember, they went through a season of scrutiny and criticism. Many people declared Lecrae and Reach Records to be off the rails. They've lost focus. They don't know Jesus anymore. 
But what a lot of people didn't know is them brothers have been walking closely with their pastors. Their marriages are intact. Them brothers have Bible study every day, opening up the word. They're involved in local churches, involved in missions. And so what happened was they strategically, strategically moved Andy Minio and Lecrae into the mainstream market. And they began writing songs. Andy was exploring that when I was his manager. There was a song that he put out many years ago called Bitter. Anybody ever heard of it? Let me, let me explain how intentionally the motives were right to cross over with the cross. He said, I feel like I'm supposed to do a song, but not necessarily explicitly gospel. I said, all right, well, where are you at right now? Where are you at personally? Because where you're at personally also determines where you should go in this new place. He said, well, I'm still struggling with my father. I just feel like I still have this unforgiveness that I'm working through. But I feel like I'm still supposed to talk about it with my listeners. I feel like I'm still angry and I feel like I'm bitter. And I said this to him before he started writing that song. I said, write. Write exactly where you are. Give them a glimpse of hope. But if you're still bitter, then be honest about it. I said, I don't know if that's the right answer. I said, but prayerfully. I said, explain to them where the hope is, but be honest. I said, do not write a verse three talking about how you're free from bitterness if you're not. And so he wrote a song with a simple chorus that said this, I don't want to be bitter. That was the whole chorus line. I don't want to be bitter. And for those of you that know, that song went viral. Another artist who's notorious for talking about exactly where he's at. Anybody ever heard of NF? I knew y'all get excited. I met NF years ago in a green room. He's very introverted. He looks for the furthest corner in a room. Extremely quiet. Doesn't say much. Always just this constant battle in his heart and in his mind. What he writes about is what he goes through. His opportunity to release is when he gets up on stage. If any of you have ever seen one of his shows, oh my goodness. It's like a one-man wrecking crew. And he explodes, and then when he comes off stage, he, go find, he finds a corner, and he prays, and he asks for the Holy Spirit to renew him because there's this constant war that goes on in his mind and in his heart. Y'all love him, but when you think about him, please pray for him. I'll just stop there on that. Questions? Got one over here. Hand just went up. Oh, oh, Christopher got the mic. Nah, you good? You don't got to This one. I'm just kidding. Uh, Thank you, Christopher. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yo, what's your advice for moving past your mistakes? Oh man, move past them. No, there's more to that. Isn't it crazy how we can sometimes still feel chained to our past? And every time we try to create distance between the now and what we did years ago, it just still feels like you keep looking over your shoulder and there it is. Remember, get back to the cross because the cross breaks the chains to your past. 
And you have to understand that what Jesus did on the cross is a finished work. He cried out for you, Christopher, for me, for all of us. 2,000 years ago on the cross, it is finished. He cries out to his heavenly father, I did it. I broke the chains of sin. I defeated sin, death in the grave. So now what do you do? Step on the gas and keep moving forward. Stop looking in that rear view mirror. You do know if you look in the rear view mirror too long, you're going to crash. The only time you should look in the rear view mirror is just to rem- remember how good God is and how faithful he was to get you up the road. Don't look back with regret. Look back with thanksgiving, remembering his faithfulness to get you out of that mess. Remembering. And as you continue to move forward, tell your testimony of God's goodness. Tell the truth of it. We shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Don't change the story. Tell the truth. Don't embellish your past. Be honest about it. God will bless your storytelling. You will overcome the hurdles and the obstacles. Tell it as it is. Listen, when I was at Liberty University, I strayed away from my faith. I was in the dark, but I was never in too deep. I've learned to tell my story. Meaning while I was out there in them little grimy house parties somewhere way out in Lynchburg, Virginia, there was enough still in me knowing my roots that would cause me to walk away when things started to get too crazy. I tell the truth of my story. I wasn't out there drinking like that. I wasn't out there sleeping around like that. Was I right there in the party? Was I right there in the club? Yes, I was. In the dark, but never in too deep. It was those pastor kid convictions kicking in. And one particular night, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, coming from a club. And I told this testimony. I'm telling it because it's important to tell the truth of your story. God blesses truth. Don't just start making up things. Yeah, I was out there gangbanging. And you know you weren't. You hung out with one gang member one time. Stop that. <laughs> tell the truth. Shame the devil. One night for six o'clock service at Times Square Church, I decided to tell it. And I said, hey, I was in Farm, Farmville, Virginia. Nobody knows where that is. I was... <laughs> Let's go. I was in Farmville, Virginia, coming from a little country bumpkin club. The girl that was driving, she'd been drinking. The girl in the passenger seat in the front, She'd been drinking. The two football players in the back seat with me, they'd been drinking. Why didn't I drive? I should have drove, but I just decided not to. I hadn't been drinking. I just was dancing, partying all night long. I wasn't high. I wasn't drinking. And so the three of us, we were knocked out in the back seat. I remember suddenly waking up to this screech as she had slammed on her brakes She had come to a a split in the highway. She was going about 75 miles per hour. She had come to a split in the highway because she saw some orange cones, the orange construction cones, and she got like just kind of like distorted, disillusioned. She was been drinking. She slammed on the brakes, and we came to this complete stop. And everybody just kind of jumped up like, what's going on? Within seconds, there was a car behind us driving at the same speed, smashed into the back of our car. I thought I had broke my back. I thought my head was falling off. We got hit so hard that the whole back end smashed up. It was glass all over us. We were spazzing out. I remember kicking the door open. 
realizing as I kicked the door open, whoa, I can walk. Oh, my goodness. My bones are still operating. There was a few scratches and a few bruises. But I started walking up the street in the dark. It was cold that night in Farmville, and it was raining. And I remember walking up the street. They were standing around the car cursing and yelling, trying to figure out how are we going to cover this all up because they didn't want to lose their scholarships. And I'm walking down the street in the dark, just kind of crying, realizing that God had spared my life. And they were like, Dave, where you going? Where you going? Where are you going? We got, we got to figure this out. We got to figure this out. And we did some just crazy stuff. To do. Came back to the car and stripped the car. It was weird, man. It was really weird. Another car came. Some people that we knew that were at the club, they picked us up. And we headed back to the campus. I'm crying the whole time, fighting back tears like, God, I know. And God was speaking to me right then like, I've spared your life tonight. You need to get on track. I've got a calling for you. You're going the wrong way. You need to surrender your life to me. And I said that at Times Square Church. And I said, for those of you that are going the wrong way, you need to come to Jesus now. And there was this incredible full altar call, and hundreds came forward to receive Jesus that night. I was back in the office Tuesday morning, and the communications director of Times Square Church, a wonderful lady, she comes to me with a printout of an email that had come in Monday morning to Times Square Church. And she said, you need to read this email. I looked at the email. I forgot the name, but she said, hi, you don't know me and you probably don't remember me, but I was in the car that night. I just happened to come to New York City to visit, still trying to figure out my way in life, and I decided to come to that big church in Midtown for the six o'clock service. When I walked in and sat in the back, there you were, you stood up, I couldn't believe I was staring at you. And this is what she said in the email. Thank you for sharing the truth of what happened that night. I remember completely. And because of your testimony, I'm going to pursue Jesus. So let's tell God's story. We're a part of his supporting cast, but let's tell God's story. Maybe time for just one more question. Um, growing up, I was uh, surrounded by like a lot of people who wasn't living for Christ, including myself. And then when I did come to Christ, I felt the calling of God saying that I would have to separate from them. And I kind of ignored his call for a couple of days, and then eventually he, be, he made it clear that I had to separate from those people. Mm-hmm. And once I did, I felt a release, but I also felt this feeling in my heart that I sort of abandoned them or I felt bad about it. And it's been going on for a while, and it kind of st- I still think about them sometimes of how I just left and separated from them, but I knew that's what God wanted me to do. But I guess I'm just asking, like, how do I deal with that feeling? Or what, what's that feeling? What is that feeling? Man, thank you for sharing so honestly about just where God has you. Thank you also, too, for being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As clearly as the Lord has led you out, he will also, in his perfect timing, lead you back in. And when you go back in, you will know without a doubt, though I am in this world, I am not of it. So as clearly as you've heard the Lord say, step away, he will also also lead you back in as a witness of his great name. And you'll know it, and it will be a reflection of Jesus. Remember, Jesus hung out with sinners. It's the only way you and I are going to be a light in the dark. Some of us are going to have to hang out with sinners. But you better know who you are in Christ when you do that. You better be ready to make your stand. You better be ready to defend the faith. This is why you're here. This is why when you come into class, there needs to be a desperation to understand everything that your professors are teaching. 
Do not make any days here a day as usual. Come into class with expectation. Your body's tired, your mind's tired, but open up your notes, open up your laptop, open up your notebook, and frantically and desperately take notes. If you don't understand something, ask. When the class is over, don't walk out of your class still questioning and wondering whether it's the truth or whether it fits you or not. Go up to your professor and ask for time because it's here that God is cultivating a deep well of understanding and knowing who you are made in his image so that when you step out into the world and they're like, oh, so wait, so wait, you, you, you all brand new now? What's that? What's that mean? Oh, oh, because they're going to come at you. Oh, 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 you finally decided to show up? Where you been? Where you been? We're not good enough for you no more? And because you've been trained, because you've been seeking God, because you've been crying out to him, you'll be able to humbly go, man, I'm sorry if I've offended you, but I want you to know that my time away was not because of you, but because my father in heaven has been doing something really deep down inside my heart. And I'm so excited about it that I'm here now to let you know how much you're loved and that no matter where you go and no matter where I go, we can't outrun his grace. And I'm a new person. And my strength is not found in the streets. My strength is not found in relationships. My strength is not found with a girl. My strength is not found running around trying to just find some sense of belonging. I belong to Jesus. And your testimony is being strengthened here at Elam. So that when you go home, your light shines bright. Is there a generation of torchbearers that will hold up the light of Christ of people who are not hiding under a bushel because you will make your movie and they're going to be like why why was that so deep so moving wow you're, you're such a creative you're such an artist I had all these kind of feels felt so good gosh I love it they're going to offer you more money to make more movies. And you're going to have that moment where you're going to be able to say, ah, well, I thank Jesus for giving me the opportunity to use my gifts to point people to a hope. Oh, yeah, it's, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's nice and all. But it was really just that character, that character, that, that lead character that you developed. It was like, wow, it was like so relevant. And you'll be like, well, if you actually go back and watch the movie, you'll find that I developed that character out of a few letters that this guy Paul wrote. And actually, if you go explore this particular character, I actually developed his frustrations and his anger and his bitterness out of this guy Peter, this character Peter who like tried to kill a guy in this park called Gethsemane. He's a pretty angry dude. I still think he's relevant. And suddenly the Lord starts to open up opportunities for you to change the course of somebody's life for the glory of his name. Hey, this has been great. I hope the next time I get to come back, I won't have these problems with my voice. Because as you saw first night, I tend to start running down the aisles and standing on chairs. Why? Because I'm pretty radical about Jesus. And I love your generation a lot. So Lord, we just ask that you would raise up a radical generation 
a generation that wherever, wherever they cross over, they're going to carry the cross. Wherever they cross over, they're going to declare it holy ground. Wherever they cross over, they will not stray away from their God-given purpose. I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, help us to always enjoy the conversations that we have with you. I pray that as as they wake up in the morning and before they go to bed, you would have the first word and the last word. And it would be in that time of prayer that you would establish them, that they would know that you have given them a firm foundation. Anoint them, keep them, Lead them every step of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all.